welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Teaching team member Jeff Norris brings us this message entitled, Behavior Modification versus Spiritual Transformation, which covers Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me ask a question. What is your posture? You think about that, you probably immediately think, how do I naturally stand? How do I naturally sit? For me, I have always struggled with posture. Ever since I can remember, I can remember my mom saying to me often, Jeff, sit up straight, because this is how I naturally sit. If I just kind of let things settle as they naturally do in my body, I'm going to sit like this right here, hunched over. And there's a reason that I have this place in the middle of my back that always hurts me, that I can't seem to ever, no matter what I do or what doctor I go to, get it quite right. And it's because for the better part of my life, this is how I have set. And so I have to think about my posture to have good posture. I have to be intentional about how I sit and to get my shoulders up. By the way, this is a freebie. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but just something I, I thought I'd tell you is this. Uh, I was at a doctor's office one day and he told me, he said, hey, when you think about posture, don't throw your shoulders back, which is what I had always done and looked like a goofball, you know, when you're just walking around like this. He said, let your shoulders fall just as they will naturally and just bring your chest up as if you're trying to touch your chest to the ceiling. And I was like, what? That's awesome. Like that works perfectly. So anyway, that's, that's a freebie there. Um, <laughs> But I have to think about posture. Left into myself, naturally, I settle into poor posture. The definition of posture, according to the dictionary, is, is this, the relative disposition of the parts of something. The relative disposition of the parts of something. What are we just naturally going to do as we're predisposed to do? And so I think about that from the standpoint of physically, but also spiritually, what is our spiritual posture? Another way that you can just say it in the way that I'm comfortable saying it that makes more sense to me is where do you naturally settle? When I think about posture, um, I've been sharing a lot with our staff recently as we've been meeting together in our staff meetings and we even had a retreat a few weeks ago with some of our staff. I've been talking with them about posture, about spiritual posture. What are we longing to be the posture of our staff at Perimeter Church? And so what I've been talking about is the posture of radical dependence, that we would be so radically dependent upon God to do what only he could do. That left unto ourselves, our natural posture in that realm is to settle into a place of self-sufficiency, self-dependency, individualism, that I need to do what I need to do. And we, in so doing, lack dependence upon God to do what only he can do. But another way that I want to talk about posture, spiritual posture this morning, is the natural settling of the heart and the mind of all humans to settle into this place that I would say is, if we think we need to be religious, if we're going to move towards religiosity in our lives, then what we settle into is a lifestyle of religious behavior modification. That's just how we naturally settle. We think that if there is a God and he's good and he's bigger than I am, then I must be able in some way, I must need to therefore modify my behavior in such a way to where I can present myself through my behavioral performance in such a way that he would approve of me. 
And this, by the way, is the nature of religion as we know it. Every other belief system in the world, they're going to present themselves differently on the surface. But if you begin to peel back the layers of every belief system in the world, it's always going to come back down to what can man and woman do behavioralistically, moralistically, in order to present themselves to the God that they believe in for his approval. Except for one. And that's Christianity. But all of humanity... Every single one of us, since sin came into the world, our natural predisposition is to settle into this behavioral modification mode. That if I'm going to be religious, I've got to be good. What we're going to see in the text this morning is that what God desires for us is not about our behaving, uh, modifying our behavior, but about our spiritual transformation. It's not behavior modification, it's spiritual transformation. We, uh, we begin to believe the lie that with behavior modification, we can actually manage our lives in such a way to where they are pleasing to God. Spiritual transformation teaches us that there is nothing that we can manage or manipulate to ever present ourselves as pleasing to God, and only He can transform us, primarily at the heart level. My story with behavior modification is one that may resonate with you. It's certainly the story of many who grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. I grew up in an in a awesome church. I grew up in an amazing Christian home. And it, for no fault that I can think of from my parents or my church, for whatever reason, for me, as I got into my teenage years, Christianity for me was all about behavior. It was all about modifying my behavior in such a way to where I felt like God would approve of me. But even, even more honest than that, it was, it was actually a little bit less about God approving of me and it was more about others approving of me. My, my mindset of what I determined Christianity to be had been simplified to the point in my mind to where it was, uh, I want to do whatever I need to do to get the approval of others. So God wasn't really my God. Uh, the God that I served at the footstool at was people approval. The approval of others. And in my context, my cultural context of growing up small town, deep south was if you are going to get the most approval from those around you, then what are you going to do? You're going to be involved in your youth group. You're going to be a really good kid. You're going to uh, be kind to others. And then for me personally, it was academic, uh, well, somewhat academic, athletic performance and relationship performance, if you will, primarily with how many girls could I get to like me? Right, And so if I could order my world in such a way to where I could be this good person, uh, this religious person, this behaviorally modified person wrapped in religious language and activity while also being good athletically and while also getting girls to like me, then what I learned is that when those things are in place, people really approved of me and said, man, that kid's got it together. I hope my little boy when he grows up is like him when he's a teenager. I would actually have parents tell me that. And all that would do would be like, yes, I'm doing everything right. Until I went to college. And I go off to college and all of a sudden I'm in a totally different cultural context. I joined a fraternity at a major university. Suddenly the culture that I'm in doesn't approve of the way that I've always lived. 
Instead of being approved of and said, man, you're great, you're awesome, I was now becoming a weirdo. Because for me, Christianity at its most simplistic form was simply uh, don't do the big three. Don't get drunk, don't have sex, don't cuss. And if I don't do those three things, then certainly, look, God, there is something great here that I'm doing for you. Certainly you must be proud of me and approving of me. But even more so, man, the people around me think I'm great. Now I'm in a cultural context to where the big three don't matter. And everyone around me is doing them. Nevertheless, I go off to college with this mindset, headstrong to, uh, to be a, a representative for Jesus, to make a stand for Christ. And so for a little season there, man, I was the most um, moral, well-behaved person you can imagine. There's this one memory, though, that stands out as kind of being maybe the turning point for me. I was a freshman in the fraternity house, pledging the fraternity and uh, when you were a pledge as at dinner time, you couldn't sit down with the rest of the brothers. You had to stand along the wall and serve the brothers because fraternities are stupid like that. <laughs> and this brother calls me over. He was one of the wildest guys in the house. His name was David and David calls me over and I think he's gonna ask me for something for me to get him food wise Instead, he says, sit down. There was a chair open next to him. He says, sit down. So I sit down. I don't know what's about to happen. And he says, why are you the way you are? I was like, I don't think he's asking in a good way. I didn't know how to answer that. I was like, what do you mean? And he basically says, you don't do this. You don't do this. You don't do this. You don't do this. Why? And my answer to him was, because I'm a Christian. And with colorful language, he essentially said, why the heck does that matter? Can Christians not have fun? I had no idea how to answer him. I don't know if I just kind of started rattling things off. I don't think I did. In my memory, I think I just sat there and just said, I don't know. So that began a process for me to begin to realize that if I want to get the approval, remember who my God is, it's not him necessarily, it's the God of the approval of others. If I want to get their approval, things need to change in my life. And so for the rest of that year, my freshman year in college, I totally altered my life to get the approval of those around me. And my life began to look exactly like theirs in many ways. Behavior modification had totally failed me when things began to press in on me. I had no idea why I believed what I did. And for the most part, the reason that behavior modification failed me is because it's not Christianity. The reason that it failed me is because it leaves the heart untouched. Yet I know that in a room of this size and with others who will listen to this via podcast, I know that, that for many of us, we have boiled down Christianity to be simply about being better, trying harder, getting it together, modify behavior. Do what God says to do. And all the while, our hearts remain hard and untouched and unmoved. And many, many, many people have suffered 
at the footstool of tryharderism, of get it togetherism. What we're going to see in the text today is that what God desperately wants you to do is to not be consumed with modifying your behavior, but be consumed with asking him and presenting yourself to him to be transformed, for your heart to be changed. Let's look at the text. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, says this. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Notice what he says there right at the very beginning in verse 17. He says, now this... I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. A couple things I want to explain quickly about what he's saying here. One is, who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are all non-Jews. Okay, the word Gentiles is actually the Greek word ethnos. Ethnos is the word that we get for ethnicity, meaning the multitudes out there who are of the same nature. Now, for the Jew, the reason they defined it that way is they said, if you're not a Jew, then you're unclean. You are all of the nature of uncleanliness. You are all of the nature of sin. But we are a people, the Israelites, the chosen people of God, who have been cleansed by God, and therefore we are not like you. So the Gentiles, to walk as the Gentiles was not just a ethnicity thing. It was much more a heart thing. Don't walk as they walked in the futility of their minds. Now think about walking. For me, again, apparently with posture and walking, I've been messed up from the beginning. Because for me, for most of my life, I've had to think about how I walk. I've had to be intentional about how I walk, physically. Now for some of you, you resonate with that because maybe you've had some type of injury maybe some reconstructive surgeries with your hip, your knee, your ankle, whatever, and something going on with your legs to where you have to think about how you walk. But for many of us, you don't think about how you walk, you just walk. For me though, I was born with my feet turned inward pretty severely, especially my left foot was way in, my right foot to a certain extent. And so at an early age, between the ages of two and three, as I remember it, and I actually have memories of this, which is kind of my parents can't believe that I can still remember this. I was placed in this contraption that I would sleep in at night where I would have uh, baby shoes on each foot with a steel bar in between them to keep my feet from moving and going out a little bit to re kind of set my feet, if you will, to go in the proper direction. I have memories of how much I hated this thing. 
of being in that thing at night in the bed and wanting to turn over and having trouble to turn over because my feet are, there's a still bar. I really hated it on Saturday mornings because I would want to get out of bed as early as I possibly could because in the 1980s, Saturday morning cartoons were everything. And I wanted to get up as early as I could so that I wouldn't miss He-Man and all the other cartoons that came on at that time. But I can remember this one vivid memory of where I was trying to get out of the bed and I couldn't and eventually somehow got to the floor and army crawled out of my room to the stairs, bellied all the way down the stairs, <laughs> army crawled into the living room so that I could watch Saturday morning cartoons. They, they really meant a lot to me. Now my parents, is, they, they, were, they saw how much I hated this thing and so I'm, I don't think I wore it as long as I was supposed to and as a result of that, I, I walked and have walked the rest of my life with a tendency to have my feet go in. Now that's not a big thing, a lot of people have that. But for me in my mind, I'm constantly thinking, even to this day, as I'm walking, now I say constantly, obviously it's not all the time, but I think as I walk, get the feet out, get your feet out, don't let them go in, right? Ultimately, it's probably because I'm a, as you know, I'm a people pleaser. I don't want people to look at me and go, man, why is he walking weird? <laughs> but here's the point. Paul is actually saying something here that we don't naturally think about and aren't intentional about. For most of us, we aren't thinking intentionally about how we walk. And he's saying, think about it. From a spiritual standpoint, think about how you walk. Are you walking in the way that is natural to you? Or are you walking in a way that is different if you're a believer in Christ? Now, here's the thing. You and I, all of humanity, since sin came into the world with Adam and Eve, all of humanity from, from the very beginning, we are born into one nature. We have one nature. And it's the nature of sin. It's called the sinful nature according to the scriptures. And because of that, that is the only way we know how to walk from a spiritual standpoint. We are predisposed, the disposition, the posture of who we are is to be a people who naturally in every way and everything that we do, even if we're able to do good moralistic activity, our hearts are in a place to where everything that we do is a demonstration to the rejection of God who created us. And that's our nature. And he's saying, but you, believer in Jesus, you now have a new nature. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you have not believed upon what Christ has done for you, which by the way, put simply is this, the inability that you have in order to present yourself in any way moralistically before God that would be approved of, you can't do it, but there was one who did it for you. There's Jesus who stood in your place and was morally perfect at the heart level and at the behavioral level, in every way he did what you and I can't do. And then he went to the cross to take upon himself, the only one who ever walked the face of the earth who didn't deserve the wrath of God because of sin, he took it for us to basically say, put the penalty on me so that they can go free if they believe in me. It's what we call substitutionary atonement. He is our substitute. And if you have believed upon his substitution, his work in your place, having paid for the debt of your sins for you and defeated death through the resurrection, then what that means is that upon that belief in Jesus, you as a follower of Christ have been given a new nature to where now you have a choice in the sense of it's not a salvation choice. Your belief upon Christ is one time. You're in Christ, but every day you have a choice. Am I gonna walk in the old way or am I gonna walk in the new way? Look at what he says. Skip down to verse 22. Part of our active part in this, 
and part of the transforming work of God. He is the one who does the work. He is the one who transforms. But the way that we get to be a part of it is that every day as followers of Jesus, verse 22, we are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In verse 23, we are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In the way that we think and walk, And do what? Verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So this means that every day as a follower of Jesus, my salvation is secure, my eternal destiny is secure, but I have a choice to make every day as I wake up and throughout the day. Am I gonna walk in my old self? allowing the natural predisposition, the natural posture of who I am apart from Christ to go back to that? Or am I gonna walk in light of who I am now and walk in light of his righteousness and holiness that has been attributed to me? Many of you know that uh, Samuel, I've talked about this before, our oldest son, Samuel, uh, our one son, we have three girls, one boy, and he's our oldest. uh, We adopted him in 2005. And adoption is such a vivid picture of what God has done for us. That's why God uses it as an illustration in Galatians 4 and in Romans 8 and other places. When we were over in Ukraine adopting Samuel in the month of November, we were there the whole month of November 2005, uh, we were able to visit as we were doing all the paperwork and legal stuff and everything to, to, to make it official, we would visit him every day in the hospital for a couple of hours. Uh, not hospital, he was in the hospital originally because he had a heart problem, but in the orphanage. And as we would visit him, one thing became very apparent to us quickly. And that was that except for maybe one or two days in the 30 days that we visited him before we were able to take him home, he wore the same clothes every time. He was dressed the same exact way, the same sweater, the same pants. Now, they didn't wash those clothes And he wasn't potty trained. He wore a diaper that would sometimes leak. You get the picture. Those clothes reeked. One of the things that we couldn't wait to do as we would spend time with him is we couldn't wait to clothe him in new clothes because as long as he was the property of the orphanage, they clothed him and he had one set of clothes. But as soon as he became ours legally and he became our son, we had the right at that point to dress him in new clothes. The imagery that Paul is using here in this passage is that of putting off, taking off the old clothes, putting on the new ones. And I'll never forget the day that we were finally able, everything was finalized, the paperwork was finished, and we were finally able to go to the orphanage and take him home. And as we're taking him from his caretakers and he's confused and crying as to what's happening because he's not fully understanding in the language what's going on, as, we're, as they're handing him over to us, one of the first things that we do, if not the very first thing we do, is we begin to undress him and take those old stinky rags of clothes off of him and throw them to the side and say, keep them, we don't want them. And to put on him new clothes that smelled good, that looked good, but listen, don't miss this, in the putting on of new clothes, it represents It represented all kinds of truths upon him that certainly he didn't understand at the time, but that I'm thinking about as we're doing it. 
that, that upon the putting on of new clothes, it also signifies that now his name changes. No longer is he Dmitry Mikolaevich, he is now Samuel Norris. No longer does he belong as the property of the orphanage without a family. Now he is a part of a family with a new name, with a new inheritance, with a new lineage. No longer does he not possess anything or own anything or have anything according to his name, but now everything that is mine and Rachel's is now his to be inherited, to be for him. No longer does he not have an identity in the world. Now he has an identity in a new family, in a new place. And he is able as he gets older, as he understands what used to be the old way and what is now the new way to say, this is so much better. Uh, But what if... What if he came to me one day and he said, Dad, thanks for everything you've done. But, you know, I really would like to go back and live in the orphanage. I'd really like to be my old self. As a father, I would go, what now? You, you want to you do What? This is what we do to the Heavenly Father when we begin to walk. And we're not thinking about our walk. We're not being intentional about our walk. We're not putting off the old self because the old self is still there warring against our new self. And that won't go away until we're in glory with Jesus. And all that's left is the new nature. Right now we have this dual thing that's battling against each other. And for many of us, we wake up every day and we're unintentional intentional, and we're not thinking at all about how we're walking. And we just naturally, with the posture of who we are, walk in the old self and we don't take it off. And we just say, God, I just, I just think I want to go back to the orphanage before I was yours. I want to live that way. And he says, no, he's so gracious with us. He says, no, my dear child, my beloved, listen to me, don't do that. Walk in newness of life, put on the new self, walk. Here's the thing, walk in accordance to the clothes that I have given you. Walk in accordance of the clothes that I have robed you with, namely righteousness and holiness. Because you know, you've tasted and seen my goodness. You know that it is so much better. And we just tend to settle into this old way of instead of saying, oh God, you do what only you can do in my heart to change me from the inside out. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go to the old way of, of just behavior modification, just try to be good. And that's just even if we're trying to be religious. And God says, I, I want you to walk in something that I have this so much better for you, walking in the spirit, the Holy Spirit that I've placed within you. Let me transform you. Stop trying. Give up. And give me your heart. And let me do with it what only I can do. You'll notice I skipped it. I want to go back to it. Verse 18. He's talking about the Gentiles, the multitudes of those who live in accordance to the old self. He says this, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why? Due to the hardness of heart. Due to the hardness of their hearts. 
My biggest struggle and your biggest struggle is not our behavior. My biggest struggle and your biggest struggle is the hardness of our hearts to slowly, in ways that we don't even recognize or notice, to slowly allow our hearts to be little by little hardened towards God. And some of us are sitting here in this morning, sitting in this place this morning with hearts that are so hard towards him. And some of the reasons our heart is hard is because we have tried really hard to get it right, to be good. And behavior modification has failed us time and time again. And the call to you this morning is to just throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I give up. Would you take my heart? Would you transform me? Would you bring your spiritual transformation to me and make me new? A couple years ago, um, well, let me start by saying this. I might be the, the least handy man in the room. In uh, nearly 18 years of marriage and owning six different houses, I'm not sure that I've ever fixed anything well that lasts. Um, two years ago, I, I think it was two years ago, life's a blur, I don't really know. Um, the thermostat on our upstairs AC unit goes out. The, nothing's wrong with the unit, but the thermostat just dies, and so it's just not regulating the air and whatnot. You can tell I'm using real technical language here. Um, and so I'm thinking, you know what? I don't, this is not something I need to pay somebody for. Surely I can fix this. So I go to the store, I buy a thermostat that looks a lot like the one that we already have, and I go and I take the current one that's not working off the wall, which took me way too long to figure out how to do. Once I get it off the wall, I'm, I realize, oh, oh, okay. The first electrical thing I've ever done, which is sad. But it's, I realize as I'm looking at it and as I'm kind of reading the directions, it's like connect the dots. You just connect the wires. There's a red wire that connects with this red wire and there's a blue wire that connects with this blue wire and a yellow one with this, you, you get the point. Well, then there's a green one that doesn't have a match. And I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> and I just logically conclude, well, this is some type of, you know, manufacturer error. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't have a match, so we'll just let it be. So I hook it up, turn everything on, and nothing happens. Now, you all know something I didn't know. That wire is incredibly important. It's called the ground wire. And if that wire is not in place, then nothing's going to work because that ground wire is a, a protective mechanism to where uh, you want to have that grounded so that it will then appropriately trip I don't really know what I'm talking about at this point, but um, <laughs> I'm just using words that you might be impressed by and go, oh yeah, he's learned a lot, bless his heart. Um, that would trip then the breaker to cause the system to work. And it's a protective me mechanism so that you don't get shocked. And I don't mean like surprised, like, oh wow, it worked. I mean like shocked, like I need to go to the hospital. It didn't work. But when I had left that wire just unengaged, 
It didn't work. And it got me thinking about the spiritual reality of, of who we are. We can have a lot of wires connected for us. There's a lot of dots that we may have connected. For example, we may have the dot connected that yes, Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the one who came to save me from my sins and, and I need to believe upon him. And, and that's good. And you may have the dot connected that, you know, church is a good thing. And I, I know I realize I should probably be in, involved with that, with the church, at least attend occasionally and be a, a part of the life of, of, of God's people. And so that's good. I've got that wire attached and I've got this dot connected that, you know, I should probably be a good person and treat people the way that I would want to be treated and, and be kind and respectful and compassionate and gracious and merciful and loving and all these things. And so these dots are connected, but there's a ground wire that all the while goes unengaged, unconnected, disconnected. And that is this, it's the grounding wire of the gospel of Jesus to do what only he can do at the heart level to transform us and to make us more into his image and to give us a heart and a passion for him, his glory, his church, and his kingdom to come is only he can do. And when that wire is not grounded, we're doing all these things associated with our behavior and all the while we miss the point of Christianity. Is your heart grounded? And the transforming reality of the gospel of Jesus that says you can not do enough to ever make God happy with you. Stop striving, quit, give up, throw your heart to him and say, God, transform it. Do it only you can. And forgive me how I've believed that truth in the past, but I find myself on a daily basis getting so consumed with the things of the world that I'm going back to the orphanage. Transform me, O oh God, as a child of the King. Father, would you help us allow you to transform us, to soften our hearts, to move past behavior modification and to move into the deep waters, the, the rich, fresh, clean, crisp, refreshing waters of your transforming work through Jesus. We love you. We pray that we would love you more. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.